Chapter 21, Part 2 Where are we? Mal asked, feeling Jez's trot slow. I don't know what it's called, really. The locals said it used to be where followers worshipped the one god, back when it was a more fashionable thing to do, Havlin said, leading them into a section of the building where the wall had collapsed. It was bright overhead, and the temple provided ample shade to the warm autumn days. Is this the place you and Brunsway decided to meet up at? Indeed, it's actually where the two of us first met. Is there much of a story to that? Mal asked. Eh, not really, Havlin said, leading Jez over to a grassy corner of the interior, then dismounting, helping Mal to her feet. I was down on my luck, and uh, as I tended to be back in those days, and couldn't afford to stay the night at an inn. What inn? Uh, Neary's Grove. It's a, a little place on the other side of the temple, maybe a couple hundred feet away. Little walk down the foothills. I've never heard of it, Mal said. Well, unless you grew up around these parts, you probably wouldn't. It's a real backwater place. Not poor, just, you know, woodsy people and hunters and traders. You'll find no Majiri here. So what do they want in payment that you couldn't afford? I'm guessing it wasn't coin. Hey, who's telling the story? What I could or couldn't pay isn't important, Havlin said. What is important is that I eventually ended up here. Because it was the only place I could go, really. It was run down then, too. Anyway, I creep up in here expecting a nice night to myself, but no sooner do I stroll in than I find myself on my back, staring up at the large, rotund Lenny's man staring daggers into my eyes. Of course, I throw my hands up in surrender and tell him I don't mean any harm. I don't know anyone was living up here, and I was just looking for a place to rest. The guy lets me up, stares me down for a minute or two, then offers me some food. Mind you, he hasn't said a word this whole time. So, I sit down with the man and ask him some questions, but he ain't talking. Just eating his bread and occasionally looking over at me and smiling. So I tell him about me, and he nods and listens and shakes his head, or sighs. You know, I give him some lip which of course he doesn't say anything about. Imagine a man living up in an abandoned temple giving me a hard time. But he's quiet, and I like quiet when I'm not the one talking. And the chap's an excellent listener. So we both crash in the temple, and the next day I put together that he's trying to clean the place up. He's scraped vines off the walls and putting stuff back up that had fallen over however long ago. So I sit and watch him work, and tell him some tales, and he rebuilds his temple and feeds me and doesn't kick me out, which was a pretty good deal at the time. So this goes on for three days, before I finally go back to asking him questions. We have a rough time of it at first, but eventually we get some things figured out. He tells me he's on a mission because the one god told him to shape the world in his image, and help return it to its former luster. Real mad seer kind of stuff. So, I'm not a man to rain on another man's parade, but I asked him if he thought he was going about it the right way. He looked at me all confused, and I told him that while it was great he was fixing the temple up and all, there's a whole world out there that could use some luster. No one comes to this temple, I told him. He seemed to think on it and shrug, looking around. 
So I asked him if he wanted to come with me. I travel all over, and I see people every day that could use something in their life. You want to preach the word of the one God. You need an audience to preach to, right? Especially with your that little speech thing you had going on. He laughed. Now, mind you, first bit of speech I've heard out of this guy's mouth in the four or five days we've been camping out at this temple. He pulls this booklet out of his knapsack and shows it to me. It's a list of tenets and forms of expression for the one God. And he points to this thing called a vow of silence, where one honors the one God by not speaking. It's supposed to help give perspective. I told him he picked the wrong vow if he wanted to help spread the word of the God. So eventually, I talk it over with him, and he's considering it. I could tell because he always gets this look in, in his eye when he's deep in thought. He wants to go and all, but says he feels he can't share the road with an unfaithful. I told him I'd believe in whatever he wants if it meant moving on from the temple. So he pulled out his pocket scriptures again and pointed to the other vows and then points at me. This is when I realized the man's got something to him. He knows me for less than a week, and already he's pushing his vows on me. You gotta admire that kind of conviction. So, I look him over, but, you know, nothing really does it for me. Silence, humility, chastity. Not things someone like myself is down with. But then I see poverty, which is all about living on the bare minimum, and giving to others. And I figured, well, I barely live on anything now, so I'm not really giving anything up, right? So, he makes some symbols and signs and chants something in the one god's language, and all of a sudden we're best buds. Wait, he chanted something and made gestures, Mao asked. Do you remember the words? Uh, have you allow Sean in nothing? Havlin said. At least, I think that's what it was. You mean, Hatu aluit mashanti dem noeltalen? Did he have you say it back to him? Mal asked, looking intrigued. Yeah. <laughs> you realize he ordained you as a priest of the one god, Mal said, the mirth spilling into her voice. What? No, wait, really? Havlin asked. One god priests used to make many pilgrimages to Orin, trying to increase their faith. I have heard those words spoken many times. It's one of their most common rituals. Well, I'll be, Havlin said, looking skyward. All those times I cursed the one god, I thought on Brunswick was just taking offense. I hope I haven't fallen out of favor in the with the oneness's graces. I didn't know you believed in the one god, Mal said. <laughs> well, I don't, but that was before I knew I was one of his priests. What does that matter? Mal asked. Well, I figure if I'm not in his fold, so even if he does exist, I don't matter to him in the grand scheme of things. But I'm one of his. If I'm one of his chosen, and I'm talking, and I'm taking his name in vain, what does that say for my future if he does exist? Mal chuckled, trying to hold in her smirk, but then breaking into laughter so robust she had to hold her sides. Havlin just smiled. But yeah, that's how it all started, and we've been palling around together ever since, Havlin finished. And how long ago was that? Mal asked, catching her breath. Well, it's been a few years, at least three. 
fine pair you two make, Mal added, once Havlin seemed to be finished talking. Later, Mal asked more about their missing friends, and Havlin brought Mal up to speed as best he could. He was not sure if Jenner and Christian were alive or not, but considering Geddon lied about her and Erica, he told her he felt confident of their survival as well. How long do we wait here? Mal asked after a bit. Long as it takes, I suppose, Havlin replied. With or without Erica, Brunswick will find his way back down here. And I'd be awfully disappointed if it turned out to be just him. Well, thank you, Havlin, Mal said. Thank me for what? He asked, perplexed. Why, for saving me, of course. I don't think I properly thanked you earlier, Mal said. Bah, no need to thank me. Havlin said, dismissing it. What's a good friend if they aren't willing to break you out of jail from time to time? Mal chuckled some more. Well, I'm going to take a stroll around outside a bit, but you should catch some rest, Havlin said. We might be here for a bit, so make yourself comfortable. Going down to the village? Mal asked. You know, I hadn't planned on it, but I could be persuaded, Havlin offered. Need something to eat or a blanket, maybe? Ugh, I need supplies. We'll need ink and parchment. Oh, I have those things. Wouldn't be much of a minstrel if I couldn't write down my sweeping epics and tales. Havlin said as he walked over to his bags and dug through, pulling out some papers. I don't need the paper, per se, but you will need them to write down what it is I need, Mal said. Oh, Havlin responded, sounding less than enthused. Now don't sound like that. I've been traveling with nothing but the robes on my back for almost a week. I feel naked, not to mention defenseless. Now listen, Mal continued, her voice switching into that of Mentor, rattling off a list of supplies. When she was done, Havlin mentioned that he would be amazed if Neri's Grove had a quarter of what she had asked for. She assured him that whatever he was able to bring back would be appreciated. Mal lay down to sleep, but found it difficult. She never realized how skittish she felt without all of her supplies and compounds. Nor did she think at the time how the wagon, as miserable as it was, had given her a sense of protection. But here she felt exposed and out in the open. Havlin had done his best to impress upon her how safe the area was. But when his footsteps faded from her hearing, she laid there, listening to the night sounds. She tossed and turned, trying to sleep. She was relieved when she again heard his footsteps, this time approaching the camp. Havlin, she ventured, recognizing his familiar cadence. The one and only. Miss me? he said entering the ruins of the temple. I did, in fact, she said, sitting back up. Well, I wish I had better news. Here's what they had, Havlin said, taking two sacks and setting them down in front of Mao. They had even less than I said, and I don't know if any of the stuff even works together. On the bright side, most of it was cheap. You didn't spend too much. We'll need enough for food, won't we? Oh, don't worry. As I said before, Neary's Grove is more for barter, 
some odd jobs, some work, a little song and dance. Well, thank you. I will be sure to make the most of your efforts, Mal said, reaching to where Havlin had set the bags down and feeling through them, sniffing at some of the contents. It was more than she had hoped for, as she had asked for quite a number of things she did not expect to find. She did a thorough search of both bags' contents, taking a mental inventory. You know, I'm surprised they... Mal started to say, then stopped, hearing the gentle sound of Haviland snoring. She smirked, putting away the supplies and tinkering with a few of them before going to sleep herself. During the next couple days, Mal spent her time constructing traps and explosives for both herself and their little campsite. Haviland said it was unnecessary, but Mal was persistent, stating that if they made her feel a little more safe, while they stayed there. Just be sure to yell out if you hear anyone approaching. It would be a pity if you killed one of these nice people from the village, Havlin said. Uh, don't worry about that. None of them are lethal. Just give someone a good scare. A little safety precaution, Mal explained. Ah, uh, home sweet home, Havlin replied, taking a stroll down to the village. Umbrunsway and Erica ended up skirting the Ramza and Arcturus border. Once they had fled the castle, making their way through the city had been easier, finding a wealth of places to hide out in and sneak around. They had made their way out of the city the next morning, only to find out Geddon had not stopped at the city to find them. Word had been spread and riders sent out, going to the nearby cities and border patrols. They found most of this out when they left Bothwell for Hallen's hold, and were almost apprehended at the gate, saved by Umbrunsway's martial talents before fleeing into the eastern foothills. Umbrunsway then led them further east, until the landscape turned to open plains before a large, sprawling forest, making marking the western border of Arcturus. They skirted the border for most of their journey. Umbrunsway was worried they were being tracked, so he skirted the direct path to Neary's Grove, instead going far east and south of it, then leading them back into the mountains and doubling back a few times, before heading north again. Erica did her best to stay positive. She spent most of the trip riding on either Umbrunsway's shoulders or back, as he kept a jogging pace which her short legs just could not keep up with. She very much wanted to know what was going on, and Umbrunsway would nod or shake his head to her questions, but she missed conversation. So she spent most of her time talking to Umbrunsway, just to talk. The road was difficult, more tiring than she had encountered so far. She wished Jenner or Christian was around. Umbrunsway had seemed to indicate that they were all right, but not with them, or wherever it was that Umbrunsway was taking her. She had asked about going to Culment, but Umbrunsway had shaken his head, trying to indicate to her through gestures that there were other places they needed to go. After they fled into the mountains near Hallen's Hold, Erica lost track of how many days they had been wandering the wilderness, though she had grown a much greater respect for Umbrunsway. Where before she had been fond of him for his comedic nature and seeming silliness when he was around Havlin, 
She had now seen him fight, hunt wild animals, and fish with nothing more than his bare hands, cook, prepare camouflage places to stay the night, and guide their course using the stars. She felt sorry, feeling guilty for thinking him of a much simpler man. And he always had a kind smile for her whenever she became worried or sad over the events that had befallen them. In that way, he reminded her very much of Christian and Jenner. And Erica thanked no one in particular for giving her such nice friends. They were cutting down an overgrown path Umbrunsway had spotted when Erica called Umbrunsway's name and pointed down below to what appeared to be a small village. He nodded and pointed at the village, then moved his finger to the right and up to a cluster of rocks near a grassy outcropping in the foothills above the village. Erica thought she could make out a building, but a number of trees and hedges made it difficult to tell. Umbrunsway had her climb onto his back, and he navigated the last few cliffs and rocky terrain until the building was now visible. Umbrunsway walked up to it until a voice from inside called out. Who is it? Mao yelled out from inside the ruins. Erica smiled and looked down from her perch on Umbrunsway's shoulder at him, and he nodded. It's us, Mao. It's Erica and Umbrunsway. Erica replied. A few moments later, they saw Mao step out from the building, feeling her way along the wall. Oh, thank goodness. I've been terribly worried. We both have, she said, walking over to them. Both? Is Christian or Jenner here? Erica said, the excitement in her voice growing. Mao shook her head. No, child, just me and Haviland. He's down in the village getting some food for the day. Oh, Erica said, disheartened but still glad to see Mal. She slid off on Brunsway's back and ran over to give Mal a hug. I feel the same way, Erica, Mal said, returning the hug. Oh, Mal, what are we going to do? Erica said. We are going to continue to lie low for a bit and stay out of sight. From what Jenner told about how he staged your death before, I think us staying here and trying to keep a low profile is for the best. Do you have any news about Jenner or Christian? Have you seen them or heard anything? Erica asked. Come, let us talk inside, Mal said, leading them in. Follow me, as I have set some traps for the unwary. Mal pointed out a few unusual stones and loose bits of ground where they should not step, and they went into the temple. Erica wanted to know more about where they, what they were going to do, but Mal insisted they wait until Havlin returned. So instead, Mal had Erica recount what had happened to them. She told the tale with much gusto, making wild gestures with her arms, and talking in rather excited tones. She was halfway through the escape from the castle when Havlin returned, who made her start over from the beginning so he could hear it. Umbrunsway greeted Havlin with a smile, who then chastised Umbrunsway for taking so long. Umbrunsway responded by giving Havlin a good swat, before they both settled down and gave Erica their attention. When she was finished, Havlin and Mal both applauded. Havlin even said she could make a half-decent storyteller if she paid more attention to the pacing, 
and what parts she chose to accentuate. So, Jenner and Christian, Herica said, once they had begun eating and the sun had set over the ruins. We're fairly sure they are alive, Mal said. Both Haviland and Umbrunsway poked their noses about for us quite a bit when we went missing. They gathered rumors that one of the king's carriages took people off into the east after the announcement of our deaths. And you think they were in it? Erica finished. That's our hope right now, Haviland said. From the maid I talked to who works in the castle, Geddon doesn't really go anywhere outside of Bothwell, and none of his advisors or emissaries left either. And it's an awfully long way to bury someone, Mao added. So we, we search Arcturus? Erica ventured. Well, if it comes to that, yes, Mal said. But Havlin and I have come up with something, too. It's not the most expedient of plans, but it will at least be a step in the right direction. What is it? Erica asked. A tale, Mal replied. A tale? Erica asked, looking perplexed. Oh, not just any tale. Havlin said, but a tale to end all tales, a tale so epic it will be spoken of to children's children's children. Erica seemed unimpressed. A tale with a message, Mal clarified. I don't know that I follow, Erica offered. We need to lay low. Your mention that you were being pursued at times is credence enough. So we have to get word out where to find us, Mal said. I, I still don't get it, Erica explained. The life of a bard is filled with storytelling, Erica, dear, Havlin said. It's how we make our living. Mal and I have been working on a tale the past few days. One that is engaging on several levels, has cultural appeal to Arcturus, and should have enough references that if Jenner or Christian hear it, they should, it should let them know where to find us. That's it, Erica said after the silence. It's not as bad as it first appears, Erica, Mal began. Erica, listen, Haflin said, interrupting Mal. I know it sounds crazy, but you underestimate the storytelling circle. While Neary's Grove is off the beaten path, it's extremely popular among the musical community as a place to stop on their way through, because the people are simple, there are no vagrancy laws, and they work mostly in trade. We've been here five days, and I've met three, talked with five I already know, who've promised to pass back through in the next couple days, by which time the tale will be complete. It wasn't easy and I'm going to owe a few friends a few favors, but people love a good tale. If I get enough people telling our tale, it will reach everywhere. Everywhere in Ramza that other nations are, too. But how can you be sure? Erica asked, looking doubtful. Have you heard the tale Felicia the Foxfire, or the song, I'll Drink to That? Havlin asked. No, Erica sighed. I've heard of both, Mal said. You'd be better off to pick ones that a child might actually hear. 
But the example isn't nearly as plausible if I'm, if I'm not the author, Haviland explained. Where did you hear either of those? Mal paused, scratching her chin. Well, I'll drink to that. I heard when we were in Helen's Hold not too long ago. But Foxfire? That must have been seven, eight years ago in Oren. Wait, you wrote Foxfire? It's about the first girl I ever loved and ever cheated on, Havlin said with a bit of a flourish. But that's a story for another time. What's important is that you've heard them. And I'm sure you can't even remember how they go, but you know the name, because at the time, the story made an impression on you. Havlin turned to look at Erica. There are singers of tales far grander than me, Erica, but my tales are known across the lands. And that's just my own singing. We will have dozens of minstrels, bards, troubadours spreading the tale in hopes we catch the ears of Jenner or Christian, wherever they are. We're not saying we aren't going to go looking for them ourselves, but we need to be careful, Mal said. This was the safest way we could think of to reach as broad an audience as possible. What's it called? Erica asked. Hero, Havlin said. Hero, Erica replied, mulling it over in her head. It's simple, it's to the point, and it inspires the imagination. People want to hear it on name alone. That's probably the most important part of the tale, outside of the message we need it to spread. Is it finished? Can I hear it? Erica said, more intrigued with the idea than she had been. Havilland nodded, pulled out his lute, then proceeded to play. When it was done, Erica smiled, but then looked concerned. It is a pretty tale, and I like that it pits a nation against the cruel king, but do you think they'll get it? Christian and Jenner, the hints are, well, vague. Ah, you can say that, Havilland agreed. The problem is we can't make it too obvious or others might figure it out as well and come looking for us. Erica scratched her head, deep in thought. Can I make a suggestion? she asked. Actually, we were hoping for some. You've spent more time with the both of them than either of us. We figured you might have something to add that only they would know, Mal said. Well, you could change some of the names. Cairnsby, Gregory, Madeline, Fatima, Rachel, Melanie, Jamie are all names of people that lived in Jenner's mansion. And Christian had a crossbow, a uh, black and sky. You could throw that in there. Excellent, Havlin said, going over some notes. But don't make it too obvious, though, Mal pointed out. Using some of the names is fine, but make sure you're, you're putting them in roles unrelated to what they do, if you use many. Erica mentioned talking about the rat, but Mal thought it was too obvious. I know, this is probably the best thing you can say, Erica said after thinking about it. Y you have to use the phrase, your rudderless pupil, at some point. What's that mean? Havlin asked. It's a saying we used in Bothwell, uh, briefly, if we had to leave messages for one another, so we'd know it was from one of us. We didn't really use it much, but they should remember it, and it's kind of not something anyone else would recognize, but 
you know, maybe they'd hear it and they would think of it. Excellent, Havlin said. All right, I'm going to get back to work. Havlin stood up and made towards the outside. Where are you off to? Erica asked. Oh, there's a little tavern down in Neary's Grove that's open more or less all hours. Havlin paused and scratched his head. Well, truth be told, I can't even call it a tavern. Someone leaves the bottom floor of their house unlocked, and people are welcome to come in, and when he's awake, he's usually down there and unlocks the pantry. Sounds interesting. Um, Brunsway, do you want to go down to the tavern? Erica asked. Um, Brunsway shook his head, yawning, then pointed to the ground. Havlin wished them a good night, then let himself out. Do you really think it'll work? Erica asked Mal after Havlin had left. I think it will work if our assumptions that they are in a relatively inhabited area where they might be able to overhear it is correct. Or if they have to manage to escape to one of them. And if they aren't? Erica posed. If they aren't, well, if they aren't, I'm not ready to tackle that particular question. Mao admitted. In any case, we can use this time to our advantage. How do you mean? You, child, need to work on those powers of yours, Mal said. Erica turned when she heard Umbrunsway sit up behind them, looking awake again, watching them both. I, eh, I can kind of do things with my mind, Erica said to Umbrunsway. He looked at her, then looked around the ruins, searching for a small stone and tossing it to where she was sitting. Yeah, well, that's the, the problem, she said, picking the rock up for a few minutes and concentrating. She sighed and then dropped the stone back to the ground. I can't really do it when I want to. It just kind of happens. Umbrunsway stood up and walked over to sit down in front of Erica. He sat cross-legged and rested the backs of his hands on his knees. Then he looked at Erica. Yes? He pointed at himself, how he was sitting, then looked at her, pointing, then remade the pose. She shrugged, but then changed how she was sitting until she was facing in Brunswick. What's he having you do? Mal asked, her curiosity getting the better of her. He's making me sit with my legs crossed and my hands are on my knees, Erica explained. Oh, Mal said. What? I think he's going to teach you to meditate. I hadn't thought of it, but I feel sort of stupid now. I think Jenner and I assumed you had some sort of magical power, like a Majir. But it could be spiritual or divine. Huh? Erica said. Well, Majir, at the most basic level, know how to manipulate the magic around them. They can call electricity from the currents in the air, move water using gravity, or burn the air to produce fire. They all exert their will over their surroundings. It's very close to the tenets of science, even though the students of both have vastly different views of the other. But there are those with less defined powers, 
people who have minds that allow them to achieve great things, extending their lifespan, closing their own wounds, sustaining themselves without food or water. I, I've never done any of that stuff, Erica said. True, but your powers also seem closely tied to your emotions. Or your emotions are preventing you from using your powers, one of the two. Erica nodded turning back to face in Brunswick. He reached forward and placed her hands on her knees, turning her palms upright and showing her how to curl her fingers for the position. When he felt she was maintaining the position correctly, he sat back and assumed the same, then began to slow his breathing and closed his eyes. Erica watched for a few minutes, then tried the same thing. She took some deep breaths, then closed her eyes, an image of the calm and bronze in her head as she tried to find her power. Hello, and thank you for listening to the World of Grey podcast. For any questions about the podcast or the books in general, email me at podcast at josephporthos.com. My two books, Fallen Throne and Dark Halo, are available for download on the Amazon Kindle store for the low price of $3 a piece. I don't output a ton of updates, but when I do release one, you can find it on Facebook at Joseph Porthos, or on my website located at josephporthos.com. I hope you enjoyed today's chapter, and I look forward to you tuning in again next time. This is Joseph Porthos, signing off.